Hi and welcome back to Equity Tutors. Today we are going to finish off the immunity module by looking at different types of immunity and also vaccines, how they work and how they can be used to control diseases. So let's get on and get started. So we're going to first talk about the different types of immunity. So this follows on from last week's lesson where we went over the different types of immune cells and how they come together to protect us from pathogens. The first thing I'm going to talk about are primary immune responses and secondary immune responses. So last week we spoke about B and T lymphocytes and also about the phagocytes, so macrophages and dendritic cells. And I'm now going to go into exactly how this fits into this idea of primary and secondary immune response. Primary immune response is the first immune response that we have when an antigen enters the body. So this is when the antigen is encountered for the first time by the body. So at this point, we have the reaction that we spoke about last week, where a small number of T cells will have the receptor, the TCR that is complementary to the antigen, and also a small number of B cells will have the right antibody against this antigen. During the first primary immune response, there are not many of these cells. The whole process has to go on where these cells are identified and they undergo clonal selection. When these cells divide, then they can start producing lots of antibody if they're the B cells, and they can also produce lots of T cells, which can lyse the infected cells, which is how the infection is controlled. So during the first immune response, this takes a little bit of time because we have to get the, the right lymphocytes that recognise the antigen. They have to be found, they have to interact with the antigen and they have to undergo this clonal selection and clonal expansion. This can take quite a long time. So this normally results in large numbers of B cells, but this can take a few weeks to actually get up to these, these large amount of numbers. So as we said before, the plasma cells are the type of B lymphocyte that secrete the antibody. But also we have these ones called memory cells. So the plasma cells are quite short-lived. They don't last for very long. But the memory cells do stay inside the circulation in the blood for a long time. So the memory cells are what then allows for the secondary immune response, which I'm going to go on to in a second. So basically the primary immune response is the immune response we have when we first encounter an antigen for the first time. And this is quite slow um, as we have to have the antigen interact with the cells and they have to undergo this clonal expansion. The next kind of immune response is the secondary immune response. Now, this is what happens when you encounter an antigen for a second, third, fourth, fifth time. So after your primary exposure, next time you get exposed to that antigen, you will have a secondary immune response. So the secondary immune response is when the memory cells that were produced during the primary immune response, they find the antigen very quickly and they can divide and differentiate into plasma cells very quickly. So the B, cell, the B memory cells, once they encounter the antigen again, they can start dividing and 
become plasma cells which can produce lots of antibodies and they also produce more memory cells as well so this one is very quick because the the memory cell is already circulating in the body it can be found very quickly and it can expand very quickly so the secondary immune response is much much quicker than the primary immune response the secondary response is very quick so this means that often when you get infected for a second time you will not have as severe symptoms as the pathogen can be destroyed much quicker than during the primary infection. I have mainly spoken about how B cells play their part in the secondary immune response, but T cells do also play a part. So as we said in last week's lesson, we have two types of memory cells that are produced by T cells. So we can have memory helper T cells and memory killer T cells. So if you remember the helper T cells help to secrete cytokines and things that the killer T cells need and also help to recruit other immune cells in the infection. And the killer T cells are cells that can actually kill infected cells themselves. We can have memory types of both of these T cells. And again, like with the B cells, they remain in the circulation. And when the, when the antigen enters the body again, these cells can divide again and be active much quicker than in the primary immune response. So we can get both the B and the T cell response very quickly during the secondary immune response. Because of this immunological memory, catching certain diseases twice is very unlikely. So for example, because there is only one strain of virus that causes measles, if someone is reinfected with measles, their secondary immune response is so fast that they actually don't normally get ill. But some infections, such as the flu, they, although they are also caused by viruses, those viruses constantly mutate, so the memory cells do not recognise the new strain of that virus. So that's why we can get the flu every year. But certain things like chickenpox or measles are very unlikely to get more than once because the, the pathogen that causes it does not change much. So with the common cold or the flu, we don't have a secondary immune response. We just always have this primary immune response each time we get infected because the antigens look different each time. So certain diseases, we can have this secondary immune response, which means that we don't have such a bad disease or actually no disease a second time. But others, because the antigens change, we might not have this memory working. So we don't have a secondary immune response. We just have to have a repeat of the primary immune response to find those correct cells that can recognize the antigen. Basically, the thing to remember here is primary immune response is when we first have exposure to an antigen and this is a slower reaction and results in lower concentration of antibody but upon another exposure which is called the secondary exposure we have a much faster immune response and produce much higher concentration of antibodies and this is due to immunological memory which allows the secondary immune response to be much greater because those memory cells are already existing in the body. Okay, great. Okay, so the other type of immunity I'm now going to talk about are active immunity and passive immunity. So these link in with the primary and secondary immune response, but these are different types of immunity we can acquire. So the most common type of immunity we have is active immunity. And active immunity is basically acquired when we go through that process I just talked about. So when an antigen enters the body and it causes B and T cells to be clonally selected and expanded 
and then we have that immunity against that antigen. Active immunity can be acquired two ways. So we can have natural active immunity, and that's when we just get exposed to an antigen in our normal life, you know, if you catch the common cold or things like that. We can also have artificially acquired immunity through vaccinations, which I'm going to go on to talk more about later in the lesson. Active immunity gives the person long-term immunity because it produces memory cells within the person so that when the person gets exposed to that antigen again, they will have that secondary immune response, which is much quicker. So as I said, this can be done either naturally or through vaccination, which is the artificial way. But in both cases, when you get subsequently exposed to the antigen, you will have a much quicker immune response and you will have a much shorter period of time needed to get that high concentration of antibodies in your blood. The other type of immunity we have is called passive immunity. Passive immunity is where we get immunity without having an immune response. So what I've talked about with the B, T, lymphocytes and the phagocytes, this doesn't happen. In this case, the antibodies that are in the blood of the person are not produced by that person themselves. So we can have two types of passive immunity again. So we can have artificial or natural passive immunity. So artificial passive immunity is when people are given injections or transfusions of antibodies. So we're not letting the body produce their own antibodies. We are literally injecting antibodies into the person to help that process. So they won't have any memory cells in their system, but they will have the antibodies in order to fight that disease. In this case, when they get reinfected, they would not be immune because they have not got those memory cells in the blood so they would need another set of injections to introduce those antibodies again. One example of artificial passive immunity is the treatment of tetanus. So with tetanus antitoxins are given and these antibodies are collected from people who have been exposed before and have an immune response towards this so they can give their blood they can get the the antibodies out of their blood and these can be then given to the person who needs this artificial passive immunity and this normally happens because there may not be time to actively acquire that immunity. If they were left to acquire that immunity naturally, they might get too sick and have other problems. So they are given this these antibodies from other people, which can help fight the infection um, that way. But remember, in the future, they will not have a response against tetanus if they were infected again, because they don't have any memory cells in this case. The natural kind of passive immunity occurs normally when fetuses receive antibodies across the placenta from their mother. This happens to everyone when they are in their mother's uterus, they will get antibodies from their mother's blood. The other way that people can receive natural passive immunity is through initial breast milk from their mothers. So in um, the initial breast milk that is produced, which is called colostrum, there are a high number of IgA antibodies and these can go into the baby and they give it some basic immunity against common things. So this protects the baby before it can acquire its own immunity. Okay, so that is all I'm going to talk about about different types of immunity. So we went over the primary immune response, the secondary immune response, and then we've talked about active immunity and passive immunity. So going on from artificial active immunity, I'm now going to go on to speak about vaccines. So I'm pretty sure we have all heard about vaccinations especially for COVID-19 and things like that. And most of us will have received at least one or two vaccinations in our life. But you might not be 
aware of how they actually work. So a vaccine is actually a suspension of antigens that are put into the body to induce an active immune response. So this can be done in several different ways, which I'm going to go on to in a minute. But basically, vaccines induce a primary immune response in the person so that on re-exposure to the antigen, the body can undergo the secondary immune response, which will be much faster and much more efficient. So basically, we give the vaccination so that a person can have a quicker and better immune response when they do get exposed to the antigen in real life. Vaccines can be administered in two main ways. So they can be given by injection or orally. Most of them are given by injection, as I'm sure you probably all remember. And we say a person is vaccinated when they have been given a vaccine. Like we were talking about earlier, Vaccinations produce immunity in the person by creating memory cells, which can then go on to produce a faster and stronger secondary immune response when that antigen is encountered again. There are lots of benefits to vaccinations, and we're going to talk a bit more about how they can be used to control diseases uh, a bit later in the lesson. But vaccinations can be very effective, and sometimes you only need one vaccination to have lifelong protection. Other ones, you do need boosters and things like that, but some vaccines can be extremely effective and give you good immune response against that pathogen for a very long time. Also, because the vaccination doesn't contain the live pathogen, they normally do not cause any kind of disease and they do not cause too many side effects. However, with everything, there are some downsides and there are a couple of things that can happen with vaccinations. One thing is that some people might just have a very poor immune response so they maybe they can't produce the antibodies against the antigen or their immune system might be defective so they won't get the benefits of the vaccine. We can also get antigenic variation so this is where the antigens on a pathogen change so then the memory cells are not the right cells to target that antigen so this might happen for example with the COVID-19 we were getting new vaccines for the different strains again with the flu we get a new flu vaccine every year because of this antigenic variation so the the vaccine from two years ago wouldn't work against the flu now because their antigens have changed so much that those memory cells produced with that first vaccination would not be effective against the antigens expressed on the flu virus now. The other thing that can happen is that we can get this thing called antigenic concealment and this happens when the pathogen with its antigens um, basically hides from the immune system. So this can happen with things like HIV where it actually the virus actually infects the immune cells themselves. Also pathogens can sometimes infect parts of the body that are difficult for the immune system to reach. Another downside of vaccination is that a live pathogen might be transmitted to other people in the population. This is very unlikely, but it can happen, especially through things like feces. So this could infect other people in the population. So one thing that's really important to understand about vaccination is the more people that get vaccinated, the less likely that pathogen is to be able to be passed on. So we get this thing called herd immunity. Now, this is where not everyone in the population needs to be vaccinated. If enough people are vaccinated, the infection is very hard to pass on because there aren't enough people that can pass it between each other in the population. So once you get above a certain threshold, even if everyone isn't vaccinated, 
the fact that most people are vaccinated will actually protect even the people that aren't vaccinated because there aren't enough people to infect with that pathogen so it can't actually survive and be passed on between people. So I'm now going to talk about the the two main types of vaccines. So we have live attenuated vaccines and inactivated vaccines. And just before I go into that, I'm just going to do a very brief history lesson on how vaccinations were discovered. So vaccinations were discovered in the 1700s by Edward Jenner. So he developed the first smallpox vaccine. And what he did is he noticed that people that milked cows, so these milkmaids, often got a disease called cowpox, which was related to an illness called smallpox. Smallpox was much more dangerous. And these women that got the the cowpox virus and got infected with that didn't ever get the smallpox virus. And what had actually happened here is they got infected with the the cowpox virus, which gave them memory response against the antigens, which were actually shared with the smallpox virus. So when they got infected by the smallpox virus, their secondary immune response kicked in and they could get rid of that pathogen very easily. So they never got disease caused by smallpox. So to test his theory, what Dr. Jenner did was he took um, a swab from a sore of a milkmaid who had cowpox and he inoculated it into the arm of the son of his gardener. So very questionable, not very ethical at all. So he made an incision on the, the the boy's arm and put some of the material from the cowpox saw into it. And then months later, he then exposed this boy several times to smallpox, but he never developed smallpox. So he then performed lots of different other experiments and finally published his work. And that was really the first use of vaccination. These days, we definitely don't do it like that, but the principle is exactly the same. We expose ourselves to things that have the antigens that we want to have immunity against. And like I said, we can do this in two ways. So we can have live attenuated vaccines or inactivated vaccines. Live attenuated vaccines are completely whole pathogens. So they've got either a virus or a, a bacteria, but they have been modified to be slightly weaker. So they won't multiply very fast in the body and hopefully won't cause disease because your immune system will be able to control them quick enough that it won't actually cause disease. This type of vaccine is what we have in the measles, mumps and rubella, so MMR vaccine. And these produce a very strong and long lasting immune response because the body gets to see the whole pathogen. It gets exposed to you know lots of antigens that would be on that pathogen not just one antigen but this can be unsuitable for people with a weakened immune system so people with things like HIV because their body might not be able to have a strong enough immune response initially to actually stop the pathogen in the body from causing disease so this is kind of similar to what Edward Jenner had but he didn't have it attenuated but he did have the live the live aspect so he had the the whole pathogen was being introduced into the person being vaccinated so his was actually just a live vaccine but the idea is quite similar the other type of vaccine we can have is inactivated vaccine so this is where either there's a whole pathogen that has been killed or you have little bits of the the pathogen called subunits so this could be like different proteins or or toxins or sugars that are introduced to the body so in this case there is no living pathogen here so there is no way that it can cause disease because the pathogen is dead so no chance of disease in this type of vaccine which is good for people who are immunocompromised 
but these vaccinations don't trigger such a strong response and often people need repeated doses or booster doses to keep up their immunity. Because these don't trigger such a strong immune response, often we have to put things called adjuvants with them. These are things that just enhance the body's immune response, but because of that, often when we have these inactivated vaccines, people have more of a allergic reaction or sore arm, things like that, because of these adjuvants that are included in these inactivated vaccines. So the adjuvants there to create a better immune response, but they can also cause some side effects in people. Some examples of these types of vaccines are, so the polio vaccine is a whole killed vaccine. So this has the whole polio virus in there, but it is is killed and then there are some types of vaccines like for diphtheria where it is just the inactivated form of the toxin that's produced by the pathogen and that is actually what is used in the vaccination. Regardless of what type of vaccination you're having they all basically induce a primary immune response against a pathogen in order for us to have a quicker and more efficient secondary immune response when we re-encounter that pathogen. Vaccinations, as I said, are really important in the way that we can control diseases. And actually, in the case of smallpox, there was actually a 10-year global initiative in 1980s. And since then, smallpox has actually been eradicated globally. So there are no more cases of smallpox now. And the reason this was able to be done was because there was only one strain of the virus. So we could vaccinate people um, and they would have immunity against this pathogen for life. When enough people were vaccinated, there was herd immunity and eventually there was nowhere for the smallpox virus to infect so that it couldn't be passed on and it eventually died out. So there are lots of different vaccines that are available that can protect us. So we have the childhood vaccination program so you get vaccinated against things like polio, tetanus, measles, mumps, rubella, all these different things. And because of that, actually rates of these diseases are now very low in the population. And as long as we keep these vaccination rates up, very few people should be affected by these diseases. So sometimes as well, we might get vaccinations against things that are not common where we live. But if we're going traveling, for example, we might get vaccinations against things like rabies or yellow fever. And this is because certain diseases are prevalent in different parts of the world that maybe we wouldn't be exposed to normally so you don't need the vaccination unless you're going to areas where this is common and then we also have some vaccinations such as hepatitis b and tuberculosis vaccination which people are given if they are coming in to contact with people who might be infected so people like doctors or nurses might have these vaccinations because they might see patients that are infected with these diseases So overall, vaccinations are a very important tool we have to help control diseases and they are very important for our community well-being and stopping diseases spreading and getting out of control. As I said before, we can get this thing called antigenic variation. So because of that, often vaccines need to be updated to reflect the current antigens that are expressed on the pathogen. So an example of that, like I said earlier, is the flu vaccine, which we change every year to reflect the strain of flu virus that is currently infecting people. And as I said before, it's really important that we keep up the levels of vaccination because high levels of vaccination mean that we can get herd immunity and actually we can start to eliminate diseases. As soon as we drop in the vaccination rate, so if people stop getting vaccinated, they might be they might say, oh, well, I don't know anyone that has got this virus. Uh, I don't want a sore arm, so I'm not going to take this vaccine. If enough people do that, 
herd immunity goes away and that disease can actually become very prevalent in the community and people can start getting really sick from it. So it's really important to keep up vaccinations so that we can maintain herd immunity and stop these diseases making people sick. So the last thing I'm going to speak about is actually kind of what should have gone at the beginning, which is some of the non-specific ways we can stop infections and these are things like so these are barriers that can stop pathogens getting into our body so things like this are skin which provides a physical barrier between us and our environment we then also have stomach acid so if we eat something that contains bacteria and things it will go into our stomach and that stomach acid will hopefully kill that pathogen and then we also have our gut and our skin flora so these are the bacteria that naturally inhabit our skin and our guts and things and these are really important because they outcompete potentially dangerous bacteria so by having these good bacteria you've probably heard that word before good bacteria these can help protect us from any bad bacteria that could infect us great so that is all for today's lesson and that concludes our module on immunity so just to recap on that we have talked about we have talked about the different types of pathogens so viruses bacteria fungi and how they can cause disease how they are transmitted we have also talked about antigens and also about antibodies we have then talked about antibiotics as a way to treat bacterial infections then last lesson we looked at the immune response and the cells that are involved in that so we talked about phagocytes and b and t lymphocytes and today we have talked about the different kinds of immune response so we have the primary and the secondary immune response we've talked about active and passive immunity and then we've also talked about vaccination and how that can be used to control diseases Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can access additional content on our Patreon page by searching for Equity Tutors, where we have a second 30-minute lesson every week, plus monthly bonus content. You can also find us on most social media platforms. We will keep you updated on new content, and you can find us there by searching for Equity Tutors UK. Please like, share, subscribe and comment wherever you are listening. And if you're enjoying, please leave a review. Bye. Bye.